Uh, welcome to the Perseverance Podcast, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've hung out with us multiple times. My name is John Thompson, I'm the senior pastor at a church on the east side of Toronto called Sanctus, and I'm joined again by my great friend, Holly. Hi, Holly. Hello. Good to see you again. Good to be here again. Uh, Holly's one of our site pastors here in our community, and uh, Holly and I have done some of these episodes together, not all of them. Yeah. Angie's been with us and others, uh, Dave, and we've got a few other guests. But since we recorded last time, you have made an announcement. I have. I am expecting my second kiddo. Number number two? This spring. So yes. I'm about halfway right now. So <laughs> I'm just starting to, Ugh. yeah. If you are seeing this visually, I'm in overalls because there's not a lot of pants that are fitting there right now. There we go. That's, that's 100%. <laughs> I love the transparency. No, for the audio. That, that's right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, thanks for doing this uh, today. So glad you're here. Um, so for the audience, again, the vast majority of people listening are Christian pastors and leaders, sometimes influencers, uh, people can see going to ministry. And uh, today, today's uh, episode ties into so much of what we've been talking about mm -hmm. uh, so far. And uh, if you've not listened to the very first episode, Jesus as Model, or some of the stuff we did on preaching or mission vision, uh, value, cultural vision, um, you'll get some of it today, but not all of it, because that's right. sort of the bias. Today, we're going to talk about how uh, we've worked really hard to facilitate encounter uh, in our worship services. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, our whole... Uh, view of discipleship, which we did a whole podcast episode on, is based on encounter. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to focus right in today on facilitating uh, encounter in worship services specifically. Yeah. And this is kind of my like bread and butter. This is your jam. Uh, because that's this is the world I'm in. I'm a site pastor. So you are our primary teaching pastor. And so, uh, you know, you get kind of zoomed in yeah. for all of our uh, digital locations. But then I'm in charge of facilitating the worship service for the people sitting in the room. And so I'm constantly thinking about how do we facilitate encounter in the spaces that aren't teaching right. in a service. So I love talking about this because I feel like I'm I'm in it every Sunday. Uh, you are, the good and the bad. Yeah, and, and the ugly. And the ugly. And we want to say too, that, I mean, obviously, no matter who's listening, if you lead a church, you're in, go to a church, or you're involved in leading a kingdom movement, we're always trying to work out well what we do in an environment. Yeah. But I think the critical word we want to talk about here is not just information or thoughtfulness, it's encounter yeah. With Jesus, the living Jesus in the moment. Yeah, that every bit of intentionality in our services from like worship to announcements to uh, how we end a service, prayer, all of that stuff is trying to get people to encounter the living God. Yeah, and I think most Christians would go, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. But I actually don't think it's of course. Yeah. Uh, personally. So how about I start, um, I think Ange and I were doing a podcast together and how about I start with a little bit of our theological bias towards mm -hmm. a service? Totally. Um, like we said in one of the former podcasts, we believe there are guaranteed places of encounter mm -hmm. where, of course, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere you can encounter him, but there are places where he moves from omnipresence to palpability. And we try to build as much as we can in and around those environments. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Angie and I were talking about our worship service. And I said, actually, one of the biases we have towards worship, our worship gathering, is we're probably more Catholic than Protestant in our bias. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking Spicy. about? Spicy uh, excuse take. me, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and what I meant by that, so I want to begin to unpack that uh, just so that allows us to talk about I think we're going to talk about four or five specific ways we've we uh, 
work out encounter. Um, but basically, of course, when we gather together, where two or three gather, Jesus is among us. Mm -hmm. God inhabits the praises of his people. When we open the word of God, it's living and active. It's mm -hmm. a guaranteed place of encounter. We would say communion, baptism, which we're going to talk about in a bit, mm -hmm. uh, are guaranteed places. But I think one of the critical things to talk through is that most um, evangelical conservative Protestant churches that I grew up in, you gathered, you worshiped together, mm -hmm. you gave, which was great. Uh, there probably was a large announcement portion, yeah. uh, depending on what church you went to. And then a pastor would get up, he would he would preach usually, mm -hmm. at least in our context, it was always a guy he would preach. And then at the end, we might sing a song, uh, we might not sing a song, and the epicenter of the, the service was the sermon. Right. Because, of course, in the classic Protestant understanding, this is the word of God. God speaks authoritatively through his word, and, and that's the most important thing. And by the way, we would not not say that's true. Yeah. Of course we believe. Uh, it's, it's critical, like we've said time and time again, the Bible is the ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. Mm -hmm. We need to be formed by scripture, no, no issue. But one of the things that we've worked really hard here is going, okay, after the word of God is declared— mm -hmm. The question we're always asking is, what does Jesus want to do in the room in the moment? Yeah. Because he's there. Mm -hmm. This is not a static thing. This is a dynamic relationship. And so a lot of people go, well, we gave God's truth, and so we should all go home. And yeah. I'm like, no, God's truth has been given. Now, how do we respond before we walk out, mm -hmm. uh, either in a digital context or in a physical context, to the living Jesus who's in the room at that moment? Exactly. And I think the thing is, is you can have a service that goes that one way of like, we did the thing and it was great. And people heard the word of God and yeah. we, we sang and we taught and yeah, everyone goes home and feels good about it. Yeah. But you can also have a service where you're like, okay, God, what do you want to do in the room? How do you want to move? And when you submit to the spirit, like those services, there's something different about them. Yeah. Because we're listening, like we talk about all the time, we're listening to the living Jesus yeah. to see what the Father wants to do in that specific moment mm -hmm. beyond just a generic giving of God's Word. Exactly. And, and the reason why I would say it's a little bit more Catholic, in a Catholic community, the epicenter of the service, of course, is communion or Eucharist, mm -hmm. where we've heard God's Word, we've worshiped, and now we encounter Him. Right. We, of course, don't hold the theology mm -hmm. of Eucharist or communion being the actual blood and body of Christ, though we actually do believe He's uniquely present there. But that idea of now I have heard God's Word, I go meet Him? Yes. So after the sermon actually is a really critical moment, mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about. Totally. Yeah. And it's the space that you can easily miss out on if you're not intentional about encounter, right? Like you can just close a service right? instead of like, okay, what are we going to do so that, yeah, now everyone's heard the word of God for 40 minutes, like, let's do something about it. Yeah, with him, directly yeah. to him. Yeah, to use a, a, a phrase we don't tend to use a lot, uh, those encounter moments are a very thin space mm -hmm. uh, and we want to access them. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that looks like practically? Like, what are the the <clears throat> things, those spaces, the places, the people, the acts that we uh, facilitate at the end of a service yeah, to so provide a space for people to encounter God. So I say, uh, first of all, we would say, and again, for all of you listening, uh, and I think Holly articulated it really well, this is not a, this is not a negotiable part of what we do. Yeah. It is every week. Mm -hmm. And so since the scriptures say there are guaranteed places, we're going to make sure that we facilitate. Now, 
that doesn't mean our people will respond to the living Jesus. Yes. It doesn't mean we don't force people. There's no manipulation. We basically say, now the word of God is given. Mm-hmm. Actually, how would you choose to respond? So I'll step back uh, in a sermon, uh, even before we get to that moment, mm-hmm. I will almost always, after the normal application, take a moment as I'm ending a sermon to actually pray over the application in the room mm-hmm. and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to people. And I can always tell when you're doing it because your eyes go up and I can tell you're like thinking, praying and about to speak. And so like that practice of, okay, I'm going to pray over this application because this is the part where people can encounter God in the room. And that is like life change and transformation that carries out throughout the week, right? Totally. And I think, and people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that all the, the time of my preaching. What I'm actually talking about, and by the way, this is not like we're so spiritual and you're not. Right. It's not that. It's actually saying, we'll, for, we'll stop and go, Holy Spirit, uh, who do you need to speak to in the room right now? Yeah. Like, actually, we just heard this. Would you bring that to someone's mind right now? So mm-hmm. there's that. And then we tend to end with worship. A lot of churches, like the sermon's done, then we dismissed. Yeah. We tend to usually have one or two songs because we want to respond in the moment mm-hmm. and singing is a good way. But there are a series of other responses that if you think about it like a like a golf bag, mm-hmm. though I don't golf, I'm one of those <laughs> pastors who does not golf and does not care. I think it leads people into more sin, actually, <laughs> in golfing. But anyway. My husband would argue. But. Uh, oh, that's fine. Well, I'm just inept in it anyway. So that's fine. But I think the heart of it is if you think about like a golf bag with all these clubs, there are different clubs right. that we bring out. And I think one of the ones maybe we can start with yeah. is actually elders' prayer. Yes. And, you know, for us, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as we talk to so many other people and other traditions, uh, elders' prayer exists, but it's not routined like us, That at least when we talk. Yeah. So when I became senior pastor back in 2005, I, I was reading James 5. So I'm going to pull it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've done ministry for years, you're, yeah, 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 I know this. Pl- please don't shut off the podcast mm. um, because I'm just going to pray. it. So James 5, 13, is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Mm-hmm. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Good. Is any among you sick? Here's the phrase. Let them, so the sick person, call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mm-hmm. So what I was struck when I first became senior pastor years, years ago, years ago before we had any of this in place, I realized that every once in a while, elders would be called uh, by someone who's sick, but it happened maybe one or two times a year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? There's got to be a way that we can do this intentionally and well. We we bring communion t- uh, to people in services all the time. We witness right. baptisms all the time. <clears throat> so I was like, what we need to do is we need to make elders' prayer a critical response in the room after a sermon is given. Mm-hmm. So we've rhythmed it, where I think it's once a month, yeah. uh, or every six weeks, depending. Every six weeks, because they rotate, rotate to our sites. Yeah, to our physical and, and digital locations. Yeah. And at the end of the service, after it's done, we will get up and we will read James 5 and say, the word of God has been given, we've sung and respond, is anyone sick here today? Mm-hmm. Is anyone sick? And then... The elders literally come up to the front mm-hmm. and we just say, the elders are here. This is a, this is a way to respond. Mm-hmm. And what's incredible is we did, we've done, we do this online to our online site. They're yep. digitally there on, on, yep, on, on a Zoom uh, call. On a Zoom call. Uh, and we do this in person. And what has been so striking 
is how many people come forward for prayer that yeah. wouldn't come forward for prayer mm-hmm. if it was not intentionally offered as a living response to what's been done. Yeah. And uh, just to theologically break this down, because I think this is important for uh, a lot of you listening, and we talk a lot about this actually in my book, Deliverance, uh, when we talk about spiritual conflict, uh, elder's prayer is not a spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with the spiritual gift of healing. Uh, it's not related to the gift of faith mm-hmm. at all. What we have here is an office-based office, yes. authority, mm-hmm. and uh, which is different than gift-based authority. And so uh, however you work at eldership mm-hmm. in your community, there is an office responsibility yeah. that is put on elders. And so we have them come forward, people come forward, and basically, interestingly, what our elders will do is say, how may I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And then they'll ask them, and this is critical, They'll say, do you have any sins to confess? Mm -hmm. And not saying that all, by the way, all sickness is directly a result of sin, Mm -hmm. but there is a moment where the spiritual practice of confession is involved, and then whether there's something confessed or not, and then our elders will, they'll have oil. By the way, it's not always from Israel. It doesn't have spices in it, right? It's just oil. No, we empty it out from a big vat of olive oil. That's right, from Costco. (laughs) Yes, that's right. In little vials. In little vials. And they will anoint them with oil because, of course, oil is the sign of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we would hold that things dedicated to God can become environments where God works uniquely. We don't believe God lives in the oil, Mm -hmm. but we also don't believe it's just a picture. If it's dedicated, things take place. And our elders in in a rotation between our five locations will be there. And what we have found incredible is this becomes one of the most profound places where the living Jesus among his people after the Mm -hmm. word of God has spoken, uh, encounter him. Yeah. I have been responsible for running services in Bowmanville, um, for two, almost two years now. And I always get really excited when the elders are there every six weeks. Cause I'm like, oh, the Jesus drama. I'm like, yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> because I, I get to see people come forward. So there's extra courage in the room because it feels kind of like we offer prayer after every service. Yep. But when we have the elders there, because I read that scripture out of James five, every single time they come, people are reminded of like, oh, this is an instruction from God mm-hmm. that I can follow. And so it gives people a little bit of extra courage to come forward and usually to bring things like illness, sickness, um, any sort of something that kind of feels like broken broken or like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a need for this. And so what's so interesting is the stories that come out of those moments are really special because like God does really show up and heal someone. Or like we hear a story of six weeks later, they go to their doctor's appointment and this thing is gone. And like, even personally. Yeah. You have a story related to this. Yeah. We, uh, during COVID, it was 2020. Yes. And we were Our not, whole world was locked down. Our whole world was you, locked down. You, so we could only do online. Yeah. Americans don't understand. (laughs) People around the world don't understand. Other than Aussies, they they understand. We were like in lockdown, lockdown. Yeah, no, it was strict and it was rough. Um, But we we didn't do church in like person for almost a year. Almost a year. Yep. 
And so, uh, so that kind of, I don't know, we had to figure out how do we do certain spiritual disciplines? How do we do things like elder prayer? And I remember I had a cyst on my ovary while I was pregnant with my first daughter and I like found out about it, prayed about it, but I was like, oh, it jogged in my memory. I was like, I should call an elder. So I like asked for an elder to FaceTime me and this elder who I have not had a lot of communication with calls me up on FaceTime and he's like, I'd like to pray for for your uterus. I'm like, okay, great. great. Yep. And so he prayed for me and like, I went back ultrasound a couple weeks later and like, it was completely gone and like, praise God. It was, it was such a, it was such a load off in a pregnancy that was already kind of scary. Yeah. And, but really, really cool that that practice exists in our church and to see the fruit of it, to see how God is so faithful to heal because he set, he set it up like that. Yeah. And there are multiple stories in our community where people have been physically and emotionally healed yeah. very directly. Uh, and interestingly, when an elder stops being an elder, that authority disappears. Yeah. Uh, and That extra little oomph God that, gives you as yeah, an elder. The, it is real. And we talk about that in the context of spiritual conflict a lot, but it's yeah. true. Now that doesn't mean by the way that every time an elder prays, there will be healing. No. And we've had lots of those because we don't believe healing on this side of the resurrection is guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, we're permission-based here. And again, if you have questions about that, you can go listen, read Convergence or listen to our spiritual gift totally. stuff on that. But just to make that clear, this is a great example of facilitating encounter mm-hmm. in, in a worship service and offering to people. Now, you just sort of said it quickly, but every Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, if it's not elder's prayer... We actually have uh, prayer teams also available. And at every site, we have volunteers, staff too, but usually volunteers that Mm -hmm. are are trained uh, through our prayer ministry here under our prayer pastor. And they're there also. So much of the time what will happen, and you do this, uh, it's a very simple thing. It's sort of obvious, obvious, but if you're not intentional, site pastors will get up and say, okay, so we've heard God's word today about evangelism, about calling, about broken marriages. There are prayer people that are trusted here. Yeah. Uh, would you now come and let the community pray this into your life or pray over you? Yeah. And it's 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 amazing how many people come forward when the sermon and the expectation that Jesus is in the room and prayer people are all together. Absolutely. And I think it's so beautiful because offering it every Sunday and not just like on occasions or when there's a prompting puts us in that space of common faithfulness right. so that, yeah, some Sundays a couple people come up and, you know, pray for this, that, or what, or whatever. But then some, some Sundays when it's been a particularly heavy topic or something that's really rocked the room, we will have tons of people come up and ask for prayer. And it is an amazing space for people with the spiritual gift of intercession to Correct. be in your, in your church gift of mercy, like faith, faith, healing. It's so beautiful. Prophecy. It's a space that people who have spiritual gifts and want to exercise them uh, and want to serve God with them can be in. And it's like so cool to see how people's gifts come alive in that space where they're praying for a stranger usually. Sure. And just to, again, context, if you came to one of our services, you wouldn't know something Oh, it's just yeah. like they're there. Yeah. They have a prayer lanyard. Here and to it, help. Yeah, here to help. And and it, but they're identified as prayer people, mm-hmm. and it just is so. And the the rhythmed expectation. This is what we're yes. talking about. That That's a great way to put it. Where two or three people are gathered, 
Jesus is in the room to pray what has been preached into the individual or allow them to express confession or joy. We've had multiple times where people just come and say, I want to praise God. And the mm-hmm. person just says, amen with yeah. them. Uh, that's incredible. Now, in our history, we also did have weeks where we had people with the spiritual gift of healing yes. also present. And uh, when we did those weeks, we would actually say to the community, look, uh, elders' prayer is based on office. Yes. Uh, everyday prayer is to the faithful people. We do have people that have been identified with the spiritual gift of like words of knowledge, faith, healing. Mm-hmm. They're available today. And uh, and they we did that for a while. Uh, just because of COVID, that has not fully come back yet. Right. Uh, but what that was, that was an attempt also to let people with the spiritual gift of healing, which is physical and emotional, right. uh, to demonstrate. And we talk about permission here all the time. And so just for context between the charismatics and the conservatives, what we never said was, come forward, you Jesus is in the room, you will be healed. Yep. What we actually said was, there are people with the gift of healing. We will see what our sovereign Lord desires to do. Yes. And that, again, the Pentecostals always feel let down and the Baptists always feel afraid. But yeah. the truth is, <laughs> somewhere in the middle, and again, for the Pentecostal and Baptists, we're joking, it's it's stereotypes. Uh, in the heart of it, there were moments, though, that there were also healing. So that just, mm-hmm. again, to facilitate, you got elders' prayer, you got normal prayer, and then we've got healing prayer as ways just to make it normal. Exactly. Yeah, I think... I think it's the discipline of it that really makes it so that, yeah, like some days, I don't know, some days we run a service and we have all those things in place and you're like, okay, you know, not as many people came forward or we didn't see some crazy miracle happen, but some, some Sundays we do. And it's worth it to be in the rhythm of obedience to God in that way and showing up in that way to see what God does in the room. Rooted with the expectation that there is encounter. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I wanted you to talk a little bit about prompting and prophecy and that role when it comes to uh, facilitating encounter and how do we navigate that in a service? Yeah. So it's interesting. If you choose to become uh, what we would call an empowered evangelical, to use an old phrase, or small c charismatic, and you believe all 21 plus gifts in the New Testament are functioning, uh, if you're a cessationist, it's a totally different conversation, right. but we are obviously not that. Um, one of the things is how do you work out the gift of prophecy? Because prophecy uh, is not the Old Testament version of prophecy. Right. Uh, the Old Testament prophets wrote scripture. And if you got one thing wrong, you died. <laughs> Period. <laughs> not so chill. Uh, yes. Uh, New Testament, the version of that, of course, is a capital A office apostle. They wrote scripture. They no longer exist. The spiritual gift of prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, we were talking about this actually this last Sunday because yeah. we're in the book of Acts. Agabus is an, an amazing example of the New Testament gift of prophecy because uh, in Acts 11, and then I think it's later in Acts 21, I think I'm going to get that reference wrong. He gives prophecy. In his second prophecy, he gets two-thirds right, one-third wrong. Hmm. And so New Testament prophecy is when God gives an utterance in community, not individuals, in Mm -hmm. community that's foretelling in the future, or it's a word in the moment that either is for an individual or a whole community, and it can console, it can rebuke, or it can literally lead a non-Christian to Christ, Mm -hmm. uh, which Paul talks about. And that's why he says in 1 Thessalonians, I think, chapter 5, you know, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Keep what's good, throw out what's bad, which he presumes. So our starting point here is when prophecies are given, there is something wrong. Right. Our starting point is something's wrong. That's yeah. why in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Paul says you need two or three people to test it. The presumption is you're going to get something wrong. So that's why 
New Testament gift of prophecy can't be Old Testament prophecy. Exactly. Can't be capital A apostle. It's an utterance or a prompting or a emphasis for a moment. And so when we were at one site, multiple services, mm-hmm. uh, we introduced the spiritual gifts. We were like, how are we going to do this without someone standing up? I have a word from yeah. the Lord. And it could like, get so messy. Well, messy. So and then people have different theologies. Yeah. And then people, you know, you've got to deal with the demonic, mental illness, uh, people with agendas. There's lots of flesh with lots of things. And so what we did, and we talked about this years ago, uh, and also probably in Convergence, is we actually started our services by saying, hey, good morning. So glad you're here today. By the way, uh, if you're part of our services today, if you're a Christian, if you think you have a word or an image or a scripture that might need to be shared with the whole church, Mm -hmm. could you text it to, and we'd put up a number. Mm-hmm. And we jokingly called it the prophecy phone. Uh, and then we, we always made the joke. Prophecy we should, hotline. The hotline. We should bedazzle it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, um, but what would happen is some pastors or elders or pastors or elders or those with spiritual gifts of discernment, those who had good theological understanding mm-hmm. would sit in the front. And while the service was going on, mm-hmm. we would receive texts sometimes, not all the time, yeah. sometimes. And and we would test to see if if that needed to be shared. Uh, and then what we had pre-done is we arranged it with worship leaders that there would be spots where we could share something. It was, and there would be, you know, I always jokingly call it with the worship leaders, the holy nod or the guns mm-hmm. or the wink, you know, like <laughs> this is when you're supposed to come on. That's always, you know, um, but this was where someone could come up and say, hey, listen, during the worship uh, today, someone or two or three people sent this in yep. and we just want to share it and we would share it. We would obviously take some stuff out that if we didn't think was a appropriate or right or whatever, and we'd share and then we'd move on. And what was so interesting, especially during the first major run of this, is multiple people, week in and week out, different people, would end up sending words or phrases or scriptures, and they had no clue what the sermon was going to be on. Mm. And what I was so struck by multiple times is the very thing I was about to get up and preach is actually what was in the prophecy. And I was like, oh, see, the Lord's going to speak. It's it's so wild too. And I even remember hearing stories. This was a, like a little bit before my time, but I remember hearing stories of when we went from one site to two sites, Yes, how people would would show like would uh, send in things from Port Perry and from Ajax and it would be the same scripture or the same image that God had given. And these are people who are doing church 35 minutes from each other at different times. And so it it was really wild to see how even across locations, how God, when God wanted to speak, he spoke to his people and they would submit it out of faithfulness. And like, it was cool to see. And we used to say to people too, like, if we don't share it, don't be offended. Yeah, Uh, There were definitely times where there were very specific words given and it was totally not from the Lord. Yeah, You you know, people with discernment or theology go, that's theologically off. Or, Or you could just go... Some of us who have discernment were like, oh, that's such an agenda. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. But the way using a phone, what was so good about it, it prevented it from getting out of control. Yes. It gave good guardrails. It had an expectation that God was working. Mm-hmm. It allowed conservative people to feel appropriately safe, not not quenching safe. Yes. And it allowed people with the gift of prophecy to begin to demonstrate and exercise this. Now, what we did in another era um, is we then 
basically had an email and we were like, hey, listen, if you're getting stuff during the week and uh, for a long period of time, what would happen is we would be getting words from across the church and three or four of us would gather on a Tuesday, we'd evaluate it, and then we would actually put it into our planning center to share it with the church. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the prophecies went to the elders because it was for the whole church and there was something significant. But again, what we're trying to demonstrate is it doesn't just have to be I have the gift of prophecy and I'm taking over the service. Right. Yeah. But you still can have the expectation that Jesus uh, might, by his spirit, choose to work. And I, I want to mm-hmm. keep saying this. Uh, might. Yeah. There are Sundays where like, you just do your thing and no one has a prompting and no one has anything to share. I think like even as a site pastor... I'm yeah responsible for making sure our our service happens in Bowmanville. That's my job. So on su- some Sundays, it's common faithfulness. No one sends me a message. Right. I just get up there. We open the service. You do your thing. We worship. Yep. It's like it's Giving great. Commu- exactly. And then other Sundays, I'll have someone say like, "Hey, I know it's baptisms today. I think you need to ask if someone in the room wants to be baptized spontaneously. I think there's a spontaneous baptism right. that I feel like God has like prompted me this morning." So I'm like, okay. So I sh- uh-huh. I, sh- yeah. I share that someone puts their hand up in the like this happened two months ago. Yeah. Someone put their hand up in the back uh, back row, and I honestly on stage giggled because I was like, oh, okay, God, yeah. I see. And so so that's the thing. It's just like that's so beautiful. Someone came forward unprompted, got baptized, amazing. And sometimes it's just normal. But I think making the space right so that there can be people who come forward with their spiritual gifts, with prompting, with discernment of yeah. something's in the room, whatever. Um, and having that being met with like, okay, we know what to do. We can test it with a few people. We have site pastors at every location. We have staff at every location to talk through it, pray through it, chat through it, and then be like, are we going to share this? Is it for, who is it for? Is it for everyone? Is it for the staff? Is it for one particular person who's going to be prayed for at the end of the service? Right. But making space for that discipline I think is really important. Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, the discipline that forms the foundation to use the gifts. Yeah. But again, bring this back. What we're trying to demonstrate is the belief that Jesus is in the room Mm -hmm. and we have to be ready to hear what his spirit might want to do. And, And this is, again, so important. We do not walk in every week going, God must do something. Right. And we don't walk in every week and say, God will do nothing. Yeah. We actually walk in and say, we're interested to see what you're up to. Mm-hmm. That approach I find incredibly rare Yeah, in a lot of churches. It's true because it kind of guards you from the temptation to like muster something yep. up. I know every Sunday I'm thinking about I transition from our worship team to the service. And so I, there's a point in there that I need to pray or pastorally lead the room. And so it is a temptation for me each Sunday to be like, okay, God, what do you want to say? And some Sundays he's no. like, here you go, digital download. And I'm like, great, this is a perfect scripture. Oh, it ties into something John's saying later in the sermon. Amazing. Sure. And some Sundays it's like crickets. Yeah. I think maybe a way to put it theologically is you should not be anti-liturgy yeah. and you should not be anti-free flowing. Exactly. You should have a liturgical thought out 
theological process Mm -hmm. with an openness to see what the Spirit might do. Exactly. And most, those two camps tend not to do well together. Yeah. So we've got like elders prayer as a response. We've got healing prayer. We've got just every day we're ready prayer. Then we've we've got this idea of the use of prophecy Mm -hmm. uh, in our community. Again, as examples, uh, even just having worship songs that facilitate what's just been preached. Yeah. uh, A little bit at the sermon. Uh, Anything else we talk about? Yes. We want to talk about baptism. Baptism and communion. Yeah. I think to wrap up. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, uh, if you come from a certain tradition, you take communion every week. Other right. commun- traditions take Eucharist or communion, the Lord's Supper, every four weeks, every six weeks. Uh, our theology, which we've already talked about in another podcast here, is we we are not bare memorialists here. In, a, in other words, we don't believe that the act of communion is just remembering by picture what Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor do we believe, uh, you know, nor are we Roman Catholics that believe that the body and blood of Christ, there's a, a moment that takes place where things are transformed. Or what we teach regularly here is that the act of communion is a guaranteed place of encounter where Jesus is at the table. He is present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we always say that Jesus is the one serving you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we pass communion here. Sometimes we have come forward communion here. We jokingly say sometimes we do our Baptist roots, sometimes we do Anglican. Yeah. Uh, but we always talk about that, but we frame it in the language of encounter. Yeah. Where you are about to eat with Jesus. Jesus, you know, God, God's mercies are new every morning. Jesus uh, eats with sinners. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but it, so, yes, we read out of Corinthians about, you know, repent, deal with sin, remember what Christ has done. We will regularly say, by the way, there is, uh, we will say two things usually. We will say, uh, not only is this a guaranteed place of encounter, we'll say millions of people have done this today. We always try reminding our church that this is an act that ties us to the global church. Yep. And then we'll also say a lot of times too, remember there's a day coming, we'll never do this again because right. we'll actually be with him physically at the wedding supper of the lamb. But in the interim, we say this is a guaranteed place of encounter. And so this is a way we facilitate, not just remembering what is done. We say, Jesus has just spoken. Jesus is now in the room. Now speak to him personally or communally. Let's see what he does. Mm -hmm. And we would say the same thing about baptisms. A lot of times our baptisms flow out of a sermon, flow as a response. And we talk about all the time here, the idea that baptism is like wedding vows. Yes. And it would be really rude, weird, strange. It's as the vows are being done that the groom doesn't show up to witness the vows. Mm -hmm. Of course, baptism is an image of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a way that we confess the physical resurrection of Jesus. It's a symbol of being clean. It's a reference to being baptized in the spirit before water baptism, Mm -hmm. all of that. But we say to our people, He's uniquely here when someone is baptized. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I feel like people with the upward discernment are always like so quick to tell me after a baptism service of like Jesus was in the room, like Jesus was there. I could tell. And it's those people who, yeah, can tell when God walks into a room like uniquely that they're like, okay, yeah, this is actually God is so present when people are being baptized. And when we are taking communion together, it is not just remembering what God has done for us. It's not just remembering the sacrifice he made for us. It is like actively sitting with him in that moment. And it's interesting because all the people with upwards discernment, their ears are like, oh, 
Here he is. Yeah. And, and again, to be theologically clear, we of course believe he, God is yes. everywhere. He can be accessed by everyone, but there are these unique moments we would say, and we just think that baptism, communion, elders prayer, healing prayer, after service prayer, even how uh, preachers craft not only just the application to life, but the application in the moment so life can be given beyond. Right. All are rooted in this expectation that he's present. Mm-hmm. And we just, we're trying to demonstrate this is a good way to think through or begin to think through how could I, do I actually believe he's present uniquely? Yeah. Do I believe he wants to speak not just through the word of God, but out of the word of God? And how do I facilitate that? administratively, yeah. but then with spiritual gifts and then make it normal. Totally. Because if you're a worship pastor leading, like listening to this, or if you're someone who's like, I just serve on the prayer team afterwards, to have that perspective of we are trying to encounter the living God during this service, whatever your role is in the in the puzzle, to have that perspective and to teach that perspective to everyone who has a role to play on a Sunday service, I think is so important to like build that muscle because sometimes God is going to do something unique and sometimes sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's just regular programming. But I think to have that expectation somewhere in the middle yeah. is really special and a really cool way to see how God is uniquely showing up each week. Yeah, maybe to end this, uh, uh, this uh, episode Basically, for all of you who are leaders, the question we would ask is, how are you intentionally, thoughtfully uh, preparing your congregation to encounter Jesus after the Word of God has been preached authoritatively and well? Yeah. How are you building spaces before you leave to do many other things, Mm -hmm. to sit and encounter by space, by time, by programming, by gift? Right. We would just say there's so much missed and lost that doesn't need to be missed and lost. And, and maybe just say this as we're going to, these response times are not four, 40 minutes, 80 minutes. No, they're five, 10 five, minutes. Five, eight minutes. Elders prayer actually happens after the service is done. Yeah. It's the question of how are you strategic and how are you building appropriate expectation with your people? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thanks Holly for hanging out. Hopefully this has been helpful for you again. We'd love you to like the Perseverance Podcast, share the Perseverance Podcast as much as you can to as many people. And well, we're going to hang out, I'm sure, soon again. Holly, yeah. Talk about some other things. Thanks everyone. See you later.